The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. All right, welcome everybody. Our last show before the Thanksgiving break. A few disclaimers before we start. I'm feeling fine. I appreciate the messages of concern continuing to pour in. Uh, I sound different this week if you're listening because I'm in a different location, different microphone. I look different because of different lighting and I'm sort of in front of a weird window, but I'm fine. It's just the lighting. I've not gone pale or red or whatever people are worried about. I appreciate the concern. I'm feeling fine heading into the Thanksgiving holiday, hopefully safely. And a few things I want to talk about with you today uh, before we go on our brief Thanksgiving break. First of all, uh, now that Donald Trump has come as close as he is likely to get to conceding this election to Joe Biden, the transition has officially started, even though it had started already. But now it's really started. We must focus on the two Georgia Senate runoffs as the primary focus of the next roughly eight weeks. And well, actually, it's eight weeks until Biden is sworn in, uh, but it's only about six weeks until these runoffs on January 5th. There will be two runoff elections in Georgia, which will determine do Republicans control the Senate for Joe Biden's first two years or do Democrats control the Senate for Joe Biden's first two years? One race is incumbent Republican David Perdue versus Democratic challenger John Ossoff. The other race is Republican incumbent Kelly Loeffler, one of the most corrupt senators in the Senate versus Democratic challenger Raphael Warnock. These will be tough races, but they are winnable races. And we have to understand it'll be tough, but we can win both ideas we can hold at the same time. The Loeffler versus Warnock race is reportedly a one point race. Some polls say it's Loeffler plus plus one. Others say it's Warnock plus one. What does this mean? I'll wait. You know, I don't have to tell you. Everybody who votes in Georgia must vote legal votes. Obviously, Um, it's basically a tie. The other race, Purdue versus Ossoff, also right in there. The late we have we have uh, only one recent poll from last week, which says it's forty nine forty nine. Previous polls showed showed that Purdue uh, was a little bit ahead by three or even as many as four points. It's a statistical tie right now. They are uphill battles. The path forward is putting all of our effort into these races. Anybody who wants to phone bank can phone bank. Donate if you can afford to. Pandemic safe door knocking is being organized in Georgia. If you are in Georgia, uh, voter registration, including the work of Stacey Abrams, could be the difference maker here. Her work has been unbelievable. And on the other side there, this is it, this is more funny because it's so self-defeating than anything else. There are some Republicans that are so mad at Trump uh, and other Republicans for, I guess, not fighting more to steal the presidency from Joe Biden, that there are some Republicans in Georgia saying boycott the Senate runoff. Just don't go and vote. And to them, I say, 
What a great idea. I hope that that's exactly what you do. Help us defeat those incumbent Republicans. Uh, we, we really cannot overstate the importance of these races. If Ossoff and Warnock win, it's 50-50 in the Senate. That makes Kamala Harris the deciding vote. This means tax reform might be done. This means health care expansion might be done, maybe infrastructure and more. Now, they will all be battles. Understand that even with control of the Senate, you will still be up against the more centrist wing of the Democratic Party. But these become battles worth fighting. I believe and I know some people say, David, you're being too pessimistic. I believe that without the Senate, none of this gets done. I, I just don't see how you do tax reform and health care expansion and infrastructure the way Joe Biden wants to do it, focused on clean, green energy. I don't see how you do it without the Senate. Um, if if the Democrats are not able to win those two seats, Joe Biden will be relegated to governing at least for two years, essentially by executive order on all but the most uncontroversial things and remarkably little will get done in terms of big legislation. So this is where the focus has to be. And meanwhile, Donald Trump really seems to be running out of gas. Let's discuss that next. Donald Trump has still not taken questions from reporters. It's been about a month now. It's been since before the election that we have not actually seen Donald Trump take questions from reporters. Yesterday, suddenly, haphazardly, a presidential press conference was called. It was in the briefing room at the White House and it lasted. This is not a mistake. Okay, 64 seconds, not minutes. 64 seconds is all that it was assembling the press corps for Donald Trump to take no questions and delusionally brag about medical advancements and the Dow Jones industrial average hitting 30,000 during trading yesterday. Take a look at this. Now, normally I say this thing went on an hour. It went on an hour and a half. I can't play the whole thing for you. I am playing the entire press conference for you today. Okay, not a portion of it. Let's start. Well, thank you very much. And I just want to congratulate everybody. The stock market Dow Jones Industrial Average just hit 30,000, which is the highest in history. We've never broken 30,000. And that's just despite uh, everything that's taken place with the pandemic. I'm very uh, thrilled with what's happened on the vaccine front. That's been absolutely incredible. I find it sort of hilarious that Donald Trump comes in and says he wants to congratulate everybody. Congratulate everybody for doing what exactly? I mean, just a bizarre start, a comedy of errors, like every little detail is hilarious and pathetic. That was the first 23 seconds of the 64. Let's now get to more of this. I'm showing you everything. We're going to pick it up right where we left off. Uh, nothing like that has ever happened medically, and uh, I think people are acknowledging that, and it's having a big effect. But uh, the stock market's just broken 30,000, never been broken, that number. That's a sacred number, 30,000. Nobody thought they'd ever see it. <laughs> okay, I, I have to stop once more. 30,000 is a sacred number? What? What is he talking about? How is that even a remotely sensible thing to say? It's sacred to get to 30,000. What? I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. And then here are the last 25 seconds. Uh, that's the ninth time since uh, the beginning of 2020 
And it's the 48th time that we've broken records in during the Trump administration. And I just want to congratulate all the people within the administration that work so hard. And most importantly, I want to congratulate the people of our country because there are no people like you. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you. So that is the full press conference, 64 seconds, with Mike Pence standing behind him with this kind of doofy smirk on his face to say, congratulations to the American people, I guess, for hitting the sacred number of 30,000 in the Dow Jones Industrial Average and to claim that we've seen medical advancements like we've never seen before, thanks to his presidency and to still take no questions. How bizarre is this? This I, you know, I am uh, I am not a person who lacks empathy. Donald Trump seems seems unable to experience the feeling of empathy. I, I don't lack empathy. And in watching these very sad 64 seconds, I actually came close to thinking about maybe feeling slightly bad for Trump, just deflated, grasping for anything that he can say or do to keep his grip on relevance as the transition to Joe Biden's presidency continues. And it seems like Trump feels it slipping away like grains on a sandy beach slipping through one's fingers. Uh, It's strange to see Donald Trump keep trying to sell himself to the American people after losing an election. And one other funny note, back during the transition period into Trump's administration, Donald Trump took credit for the rise in the stock market in November and December and early January. Remember, Barack Obama was still president then. But Donald Trump took credit and said, no, no, once I got elected, stocks started going up even before I was inaugurated, thanks to me. That's the opposite of what he's doing here. He is now saying, even though the stock market is going up after Joe Biden has been elected, he as the lame duck president still gets credit for the stock market going up. At this point, you know, uh, hypocrisy is dead and double standards have no meaning with this administration. But just sort of like as a side note outgoing here, um, not even worth arguing with him, not even worth arguing with Trumpists about, you know, don't let the door hit you on the way out. But yet another one of these instances of Donald Trump holding himself to a completely different standard than he held Barack Obama to. And that applies to Joe Biden and that applies to Hillary Clinton and it applies to uh, uh, essentially anybody that would be seen as not friendly to Donald Trump in the space of politics. So he's slowly being deflated. I still doubt that we will ever again see Donald Trump do a full actual press conference before leaving office where he takes questions and he's not even going to be punished for it by his followers because they will say he's right not to take questions. The media colluded with Biden and they're all against him and they're fake. Why would he give them the ratings of letting them ask him questions? So that's what they'll say. Trump will sort of fade away and he may. I mean, listen, we we may after Christmas, as has been suggested, he may just leave D.C. and that'll be it. No appearance at the inauguration would not be at all surprising, although for for optics sake, I would be fascinated to see Donald Trump at the inauguration of President Joseph R. Biden Jr. We've got a great show for you today. Today will be like a Friday show. 
because it is the last show of the week. We are off tomorrow and Friday for the Thanksgiving holiday, but we are here today. One more show, and then we'll be on a little bit of a break. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. For a limited time, our sponsor, PureVPN, is offering you a huge 86% discount on a subscription, which comes out to only about $1.50 per month. PureVPN makes you anonymous when you're browsing online, and you can trust them because they're the only VPN in the industry with an always on third party audit to verify that your internet activity is not being logged. By hiding your IP address, PureVPN keeps you safe from hackers and prevents you from being spied on by your internet service provider, social media companies, and even government surveillance. It also lets you watch shows and movies that aren't available in your country. PureVPN is super fast. You can use it on all of your devices. And I can tell you firsthand, the app is really easy to use. And they have 6,500 servers across the world, which is more than any other VPN in the industry. Everyone should be using a VPN when connecting to the internet. And now is the perfect time to start because Pure VPN is giving you an 86% discount on a subscription, which comes out to only about $1.50 per month. Go to davidpackman.com slash pure VPN. That's davidpackman.com slash P U R E VPN. The link is in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors today is Helix Sleep, and it's a sponsor I'm thrilled about because I sleep on a Helix mattress at home and it's just the perfect mattress. One of the best things about Helix is you don't have to guess which mattress do I need, which one will be good for me. You take their famous sleep quiz on their website. You tell them your body type, your sleeping position, your back pain issues you might have, and they will pair you with a mattress that will be perfect for you. I took the sleep quiz. The mattress they suggested was exactly what I needed. I often get too hot at night. The mattress keeps me cool. It's not too soft. It's not too firm. The texture is right. And I've just been getting way better sleep. You only buy a mattress every decade or so. Don't get stuck with something that's not perfect for you. And all Helix mattresses come with a 10 year warranty. And they'll even come to your house and pick it up within 100 days if you don't love it. But I think you will. All of my viewers will get up to $200 off your order and you'll get two super premium pillows for free when you go to helixsleep.com slash Pacman. That's H E L I X sleep.com forward slash P A K M A N. You can also find the link in the podcast notes for this episode. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's uh, let's hear from some folks. It is the, uh, I guess, sort of Thanksgiving edition of uh, live calls hitting us earlier this week because we will be off on Thursday and Friday for the Thanksgiving holiday. We are taking calls via Discord at davidpakman.com slash Discord, D-I-S-C-O-R-D. And we have uh, all sorts of different people who are interested in chatting today. Let's start with uh, Andrew from, from Miami. Andrew from Miami, you're on the air. Hi, David. How's it going? Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Great. I was wondering what your opinion was of, remember when Bloomberg ran in the Democratic primary? Yeah. 
he threw in like a billion dollars or something, right? I think it was um I think it was a, a, a hundred and fifty or two hundred million, certainly. Oh no, I think reporting from Washington Post or New York Times said it was around nine hundred million. Oh well, maybe it is. Yeah, I, I'm not saying you're wrong. I I had not heard that number, but it's conceivable. Sure. And then during the actual presidential election, he only threw in about a hundred million in one state. Mm. I found that interesting because he said that Trump was an existential threat to <laughs> right. democracy, and didn't. And I think he said he was going to do like everything possible to get Biden elected. And he didn't, I mean, listen, a hundred million is nothing to sneeze at, obviously, but for a guy with his wealth, he could certainly have, have put in way more. For sure. And I think that's why people are saying things like, you know, eat the rich and whatnot. But I mean, I also saw even on the democratic side, like Obama only came out around two or three weeks before the election. And then afterward he has his book tour where he's on every major news station. Isn't that pretty interesting? Yeah, I'm I find the Obama thing less surprising. I mean, I think during the primary, Obama's approach was clear, which was he's not going to get involved close to the primary or before it's decided because he wants to be able to credibly support whoever the nominee is. And if he ends up, you know, endorsing someone during the primary who doesn't end up being the nominee, it could just hurt his ability to campaign for them. I do. You're right that Obama was only on the physical campaign trail for a couple of weeks. But I think a lot of that was that it, there was really no in-person campaigning being done on the Democratic side for a while because of the virus. He, you know, Obama did sure. speak at the DNC, which was remote. I, I that that's less of a flag to me the, the Bloomberg thing. It's just like he was obviously just dishonest about how involved he was going to be and helping the eventual nominee win. He, he just lied. Right. Definitely. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for taking my question. I appreciate it. Love the uh, show. All right. Andrew from Miami. Great to hear from you. Uh, we are taking calls uh, via discord at davidpackman.com slash discord. Let's go next to uh, let's go to Skyler from New York. Skyler from New York. You're on the air. Can you hear me? Sort of. You're, you're kind of cutting in and out. How, how about now? Is it any better? That is better. Awesome. Um, well, thanks so much for, for, for calling me. Um, my question is, how do we dispel the notion that progressive policies cost the Democrats in the House and the Senate? Well, who who's arguing that? Like, for example, uh, the moment that, you know, the Associated Press called the election for Biden, you've got John Kasich on CNN saying that, you know, they almost cost the the Democrats, the election, and that Biden needs to cater to the center, which is what most of America is, despite every exit poll showing overwhelming uh, majority favoritism towards these progressive policies, like whether it's legalizing marijuana or raising the minimum wage or even Fox News showing like 70 percent of people supporting a government funded health care system. Yeah, well, so I think you. so what's interesting is the one example you cited of people saying that is a Republican anyway. So I don't really worry too much about that. I mean, I think I've heard a a little bit of a debate within the left about did did Democrats run too far left or too far right in the House and Senate? I don't think there's one answer to that. I think that we need to stop that. That general question is the wrong question because there are districts in which it is completely reasonable to run more to the left. And then there are district and seats where that would not work. Uh, as much as I dislike Joe Manchin in West Virginia, who is the most conservative Democratic senator, 
I have not seen any data that suggests a progressive running in West Virginia would win because West Virginia Democrats are different than Democrats in other places. So I just think it's an it's too simplistic of an argument. I think you have to be looking more more specifically at individual races and states and realizing that country of 331 million people that's this size. There's no anybody who says the problem is Democrats ran too far left or the problem is Democrats ran too far right. It's too simplistic of, a, of an assertion. Hello. Oh, I think you got remuted there somehow. Are you there? Uh, yeah, I did get remuted. Sorry about that. No problem. Um, yeah, I mean, like I just saw a, a clip of Jim Clyburn saying that defund the police cost Jamie Harrison's seat, despite uh, the widespread protests in Black Lives Matter. And, and that whole movement actually is what initially saw Jamie Harrison uh, surge in the polls. And, yeah, not only that, uh, I mean, defund the police was something that was mostly pushed on Democrats by the right. There are some Democrats talking about defund. Most are not. Most are talking about reform, reorganize, restructure, rethink. And I I was one of them. I mean, the defund the police was mostly a smear in the sense of what was actually being proposed at the national level. And, uh, and, and why is it that you know, Democrats are unable to work outside these right wing framing and, and talking points like uh, anybody that actually takes like a nuanced perspective on this understands, you know, what what you mean when you say something like defund the police. But it just seems like Republicans have a, a, a more effective way of, uh, you know, smearing and grifting their base and controlling the branding and, and the messaging and the Democrats are often playing defense instead of getting out in front of these things. I basically agree with you. But the, the one thing you did say, which I think is a fault of the left, is you say, you know, most people understand what defund the police really means. I've been saying for a while, if you don't mean defund, don't call it defund, call it what it what it actually is. And that that I think is a fair criticism. Uh, but but for the most part, again, it's been a smear from the right attributed to Democrats. And uh, you're thinking of all the right things. You you were just muted. I don't know. I don't know how this caller keeps getting getting muted. I'm not muting them, but I appreciate the call. And um, I hope to hear from you again. That's uh a server mute kept appearing on that caller, and there's only a few people with the permissions that would make that happen. So I think we should try to understand uh, why why that that was happening. That's very very strange. Okay, let's go next. Um, let's go to Thibaut from Belgium. Thibaut from Belgium, you're on the air. Hey David, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Where in Belgium are you calling from? I am calling from Ghent. Oh, beautiful, beautiful city. I've been there. Oh, nice. Yes, it's a large uh, student population over there. So I'm still studying uh, veterinary medicine. uh, So that's why I'm there. Now, Ghent is the one that has the trolley, right? Trolley? Yeah. Isn't there isn't there like an elevated subway that goes down the streets in Ghent? Or is that Antwerp? Now it's all blending together. I think you might confuse it with Antwerp. Okay, all right. Well, I apologize for that. No problem. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you because I have heard, um, I've been following your channel for a couple of months right now, and I was wondering because you have always stated that your position on Trump getting into prison after his presidency is very minimal. But after I, I've been following the news for like the past couple of years about Trump and the difference I am noticing uh, with European countries is that you have 
one major news channel like Fox News enabling his presidency and his misinformation and his lies. Yeah. And that is not something we see here in European countries where um, opinion shows uh, don't really exist or not in a, such a big fashion as it does in the US. So I'm thinking Trump has set a precedent right now um, by committing crimes inside the White House, outside the White House, and he can get away with anything he wants. But the president has already said, so if he runs again in 2024, or if a more intelligent person, a rich guy with uh, more intellectual capabilities than Trump, runs in 2024, the president is set and he can expand his crimes, he can expand his behavior. So I think it is important that if Trump uh, is proven to be guilty of crimes after he leaves the White House, he should be prosecuted. And if Judge Confer uh um, thinks he should go. To, he should go to jail. Then I think uh, you should not um, prohibit that or think of it as he is a past president, a, a, a former president. So we can't do that. Oh, I I completely agree with you. What I've said is I don't believe Trump is going to prison. I your analysis is spot on. Donald Trump has debased the office of the presidency. He's shown that even the checks and balances that the founders put in place never assumed someone who would flout these norms the way that Donald Trump did. And I believe that what Donald Trump exposed is that our checks and balances are not nearly as rigorous as we imagine them to be. Your your assessment is 100 percent correct. I just don't believe there is really any appetite at the top level in the United States to jail former presidents, period. That my, my, I was making a prediction, not an analysis. Your analysis is completely correct. Oh, OK. And I'm also like worried because a lot of Democrats, I feel like in the US are feeling like democracy is saved right now. But if Trump is going to start his own news channel yeah. and the Republican Party, by the way, doesn't exist anymore, it's not a Trump party. So if they follow his like Trump news and all his new opinion shows he will launch and the widespread misinformation, then it's going to be like 2016 all over again, I feel like. I think you're right. And uh, with the issue of whether the Republican Party is now simply the Trump party, I think it remains to be seen. I think I do think that if Donald Trump relatively quickly uh, goes back into obscurity, which he may we just don't know yet, I think you will very quickly see a lot in the of people in the Republican Party just sort of pretend it never happened and go back to talking about the debt and and kind of the way the Republican Party was before Trump. If Trump remains present, if he starts a news network or whatever the case may be, I think it'll be handled differently. We, I think we just have to wait and see on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but the fact that like 80 percent of uh, Republicans already think that this election is rigged yeah. also says a lot about yes. they're still Republican or just Trump that doesn't supporters. bode well. That doesn't bode well. I agree with you. OK, yeah. Thanks for taking my call. I really appreciate it. All right. My pleasure. Great to hear from our friends in Belgium. Belgium is uh, one of my favorite places I visited. I have to tell you, I've been to uh, Brussels, Bruges, Ghent and Antwerp and all um, all amazing places. Really, really great places. Let's go next to um, let me go to Kenny in Phoenix. Kenny in Phoenix, you're on the air. Uh, good morning, David. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. I'm eating breakfast right now. Oh, um, all right. What are you having? Uh, some bacon, some eggs, and toast with butter. Oh, my goodness. Turkey bacon, I'm sure, right? No, sir, unfortunately. The full <laughs> thing. Okay, all right. Very good. 
Oh, yeah. Um, so <laughs> I wanted to ask, um, I actually had a conversation with uh, a really good friend of mine that I've had since uh, early childhood last night. Um, I had a conversation with him about politics, and we've never talked about it before. Uh, I consume a lot of political content. And, um, you know, he, I think this kind of ties into the whole, uh, like, deprogramming thing. Um, so I was talking to him, and he uh, he thoroughly believes all the talking points, but he doesn't consume any media. Um, hmm. I, I asked him about it. He doesn't really watch any media. He doesn't really read any news. Um, he knows all this stuff through word of mouth, which is kind of scary. Now, when um, you say word of mouth, do you mean like literally, do you mean people at work telling him or do you, are you including social media in word of mouth? Um, I think social media actually might play a role. Right. Uh, that, what's up? That, yeah, I, I was that's that's I think the key thing, because at this point, you know, when, when we talk about like Fox News, for example, only a few million people are ever watching any a particular episode of Fox News. This country is three hundred and thirty one million people. But the point is, Fox News has agenda setting power. And then you see the stories repeated on Facebook and on Twitter, et cetera. And that's where it's being that's where it's being repeated. And that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so, well, so we were going back and forth about the uh, election fraud thing, and I kept trying to, I, I don't think he really understood, um, you know, how all this stuff works. And I think, you know, I think a lot of people don't. Yeah. So like, what, what do you think? And it was, it was so hard to, to, you know, be polite, right? Because as someone who's paying attention to this stuff, it's like, it's, 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 it's really frustrating, you know? So I guess like what, I, I just wanted to pick your brain and see like, what do you think maybe some strategies might be to like, uh, I guess like calmly. Uh, you know, attack this, I guess. I mean, with someone that's that uninformed and who's basically just getting what other people they know are sharing on Facebook, for example, they're not even necessarily, it's not even about getting them to look at different news outlets because they're not even looking at news. You right. have to start really softly with where, where did you, where did you learn that? And getting them to say, and then say, oh, and how do you know that that's trustworthy? You know, they say, well, my aunt, aunt Beatrice shared it on Facebook. OK, well, what what does Aunt Beatrice do for work? Oh, well, I don't know. She, right. she works in a factory. Oh, all right. So clearly she got it from somewhere. She this wasn't her research. Where did she get it? Well, I guess I don't know where she got it. OK, well, you know, you can you can find out for yourself. There are primary sources on this stuff. You've got to start getting them open to the idea that they may mm -hmm. be hearing things that aren't true, but it is, it's really tough. It's very, very difficult. Yeah. It, it can be really hard when, uh, like one thing I think a lot of people on the right tend to do is like, they'll, uh, do all their own research and they'll end up at a lot of very interesting conclusions. Right. But research and, often uh, just when, means you look at articles on Breitbart, you know? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Right. And then it's like, well, I can come back at them with 10 articles that say, hey, you're not right, man. Yeah. Well, you can't believe everything you read on the Internet. And it's just like, oh, man, this. Uh, it, it, yeah, it can be a little stressful. Man. I mean, the problem is that with a lot of these things, you, you know, there's this false notion that it's up to sort of like opinion. Like, for example, does cutting taxes for the rich help the economy? That's an empirical question. And we can look in history at changes to tax rates and then the associated changes in GDP, employment, et cetera. There's a lot of people who unfortunately are in the paradigm of, well, I don't know, because, you know, the nation says one thing and Breitbart says a different thing. And then Tucker says one thing, but then MSNBC says something else. You can go and look at economic 
papers that are peer reviewed from, you know, groups of economists and actually answer that question. But the problem is a lot of people either aren't aware or don't know or or have the interest in actually doing that. But a lot of these things are really yeah. they're knowable. They're not really opinion. They're not really up for debate. Yeah. So I, I guess um, I guess like a big first step is going to be trying to, I guess, get uh, like get these people to understand that academics have uh, what is it like uh, like they're held accountable. It has accountability. Yeah. Whereas, and I like, think the first step is just Fox getting news, people to recognize that there's limits to what they know. You, if once people recognize that they're they're their knowledge is limited and there's more out there. That's step one. And unfortunately, a lot of people are either just naturally incurious in or are just busy living their lives where they take that thing right. they see on Facebook and that's as far as they go. And that's 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 not a good uh, recipe. Yeah, that makes sense. Kenny, right, great uh, to hear you, from you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good one. All right, we're going to take a quick break. If you're holding to talk to me, please don't hang up because we're going right back to the phones momentarily. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. If you love feeding your intellectual curiosity, but you're always struggling to find the time, check out one of my all time favorite apps called Blinkist. Blinkist lets you consume an entire book on your way home from work. They take thousands of popular nonfiction books, condense each one into text or audio that you can get through in just 15 minutes. And you get all of the important core ideas and information from that book. It's perfect if you don't have enough time to do all the reading you want to do or if you just want to sample a book before you buy the entire thing. I recently read A Brief History of Time, of course, by the great Stephen Hawking. This is a book that I have been aware of for so long and other things got in the way, and it was fantastic to check it out on Blinkist. Blinkist has books on politics, philosophy, science. They have 27 different nonfiction categories and a subscription is only about eight bucks a month and you get access to the entire library. But you can try it totally free and get 25% off a subscription when you go to Blinkist.com slash Pacman. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Pacman. Privacy.com is one of our sponsors, and they're giving you $5 just for using their free service at Privacy.com slash Pacman. Privacy is a service I've been using for a while now. I love it. It saves me a bunch of headaches. It's completely free and it's very quick to set up. And here's how it works. When you pay for something online or over the phone, instead of exposing your real credit card number, privacy lets you generate virtual card numbers. The payments are withdrawn from your checking account, but your real card number stays completely private and you do it all with one click. You can autofill the card number in your web browser on the phone. You can create 12 virtual cards a month. You can set spending limits, freeze them, delete them whenever you want. I especially love it for free trials where you need to give a credit card number because I can destroy the virtual card number as soon as I give it to the company and I know I won't be charged in the future. If you're ordering food over the phone, why do I need to give a restaurant my real card number if I don't have to? Companies don't have to know who you are. Your real credit card number is protected from the data breaches that 
happen, unfortunately, more often than we would like. And it's completely free. They do have a paid version with different tiers where you can create more virtual credit card numbers per month, cashback rewards, extra security features. But go ahead and sign up for the free service. It's a no brainer. Companies can't charge you unexpectedly. You're protected from identity theft. It costs you nothing. And privacy is giving you five dollars to spend just for signing up when you go to privacy.com slash Pacman. Welcome back to the David Pacman show. All right. We are taking calls via discord at davidpackmancom slash discord. And uh, we are doing this a little bit earlier this week because we are going to be off at the end of the week due to Thanksgiving. Let's go next to Amanda, Amanda, who's holding on to talk to me. What's going on, Amanda? Amanda, you're on the air. What's going on? Uh, I can hear you, Amanda. What's going on? Okay, perfect. Um, so I have a question and I wanted to know what you think about the lawsuits that are coming uh, to Trump over the next couple months or years once after he leaves office. I think that the most likely um, uh, way this will go is that Trump's businesses are going to be investigated. And this could mean anything from money laundering to tax evasion, to everything in between. I think it's quite plausible that Trump's businesses will have to pay some fines. We've already seen, you know, Trump University was disbanded and had to pay a fine. Trump's charity had to dissolve because of its using the money as a personal slush fund. And and I, I think that we will see that. I even think it's conceivable that there might be associates of the Trump organization, the business that could face criminal charges. I don't know that anybody's going to do any time, but basically I think that that's as far as it's going to go. Amanda, that's my sense right now. Okay. And Amanda is gone. Amanda, Amanda left. And that is it from Amanda. That's too bad. Okay. Let's go next to Eduardo from Brooklyn. Eduardo from Brooklyn, you're on the air. Hi, David. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Uh, big fan. Uh, thanks for doing this. Thank you. Uh, quick question for you, though, is um, so as the vaccines kind of become a little more readily available, um, I was wondering, is there going to be sort of sort of like a, like a paperwork that you have to show that you've been vaccinated or like some sort of badge or whatever. I assume so. Yeah, We're, we've already heard. Uh, so the airline Qantas has already said they will be requiring a vaccination certificate after a certain point. If you want to fly with them, Ticketmaster right. has said they are building infrastructure so that um, any any sports or concert venue that wants to sell tickets with them will be able right. to require a vaccination certificate. In some cases, it's, it's a vaccination certificate or a negative test within you know a certain amount of time before the event. I um, I am hopeful that some American airlines will say after a certain date you need a vaccination certificate. I, I don't know if it will be administered at the federal or state level. There will be people, Eduardo, who will say this is mandated vaccination. And of course, it's not. It's only if you choose to avail yourself of certain private business services, 
you need right. to be vaccinated. And I think it's going to be necessary to get more people vaccinated. 40% reportedly don't want the vaccine. And that's a real problem. Do you do you reckon, though, that if uh, like that can be sort of like extended to sort of like a localized situation like bars and restaurants and stuff like that? It certainly could be. But my instinct is that, you know, an individual bar or business is unlikely to pursue that. That that's my sense. I think it'll be, you know, airlines, maybe some schools um, and, uh, you know, employers could do it. If you're a really big employer like a Walmart, for example, you could say, listen, we don't want our employees falling ill, nor our customers getting the virus from employees. So after a certain date, if you want to work with us, you you need to have a vaccination. That's certainly something a private employer could do. I'd be shocked, shocked if like individual restaurants did it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, for that, we need the vaccine first. Anyway, we so need the vaccine first. And, uh, you know, hopefully <laughs> we are we are three weeks from it. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. Thanks, David. And keep doing what you do. All right. Eduardo from Brooklyn. Great questions. Uh, vaccine talk. Love it. Love the vaccine. The vaccine is coming. And uh, that is, you know, that is something we're all going to have to contend with. Let's go to I believe this is Kendall from is it San Mateo? I, it's sort of too long for me to see. I know it's Kendall, though. Can you hear me, David? Yes, I can. It's uh, San Marcos, Texas. Oh, Sorry, San Marcos. Know... OK, very good. Yeah. Sorry, I'm super white, so I always pronounce the San Marcos. Um, no, so my question was, is with, um, I had it pulled up here, with the GSA, um, uh, the GSA announcing that they'd be letting the transition go through, um, have you noticed, I just wanted to do your take on the notable further breakdown, what seems of Trump's psyche as he's been tweeting, because after the GSA... Uh, uh, sent out the letter and Trump said he would be allowing the GSA. He's been retweeting just some really strange things from like actors, especially he's been, he looks like he retweeted Randy Quaid like four times. (laughs) Listen, what's going on with Trump is he is furious that the attention is shifting to Joe Biden as it should, because Trump has given up on the virus and Biden is now running a coronavirus task force. Joe Biden's building a cabinet. Joe Biden will soon be president. And what's what you are seeing are the last gasps of Trump's narcissistic ego. And so he just can't stop. And the my guess is that Trump tweeting that he's allowing the transition to go forward, even though he still thinks he won. I think that that is likely to be as close as we get to a concession from Donald Trump. But I would expect him to continue tweeting for a while when the election is certified on December 14th. He may start doing less of it. And we may even see Trump just kind of go off to Mar-a-Lago around Christmas time and never come back to D.C. But this is all ego driven, what you are seeing right now. Right. I, it was just when I woke up this morning, I always, you know, I check, I have Google read me the news and then I go through Twitter 
and I always check and see if oh, if Trump has done something incredibly stupid, and all I see is is Randy Quaid. Yeah, it's uh, there's no, I don't know that there's really any rhyme or reason. Sometimes Trump will do eighty retweets in the middle of the night. Sometimes he'll be very quiet. Trump hasn't taken questions from the press for for nearly a month, and I would be I would expect that to continue for a while, quite frankly. But uh, we're just going to have to deal with and uh, deal with it until he finally goes. Okay, well. Thank you, David. And if you ever end up in San Marcos, I know you're a big uh, foodie. So if you ever end up in San Marcos, definitely try um, a cafe on the square. It's a restaurant downtown. It's, it's real good. All right. Very good. I appreciate the recommendation. Have a good one. All right. You too. Take care. Uh, there we go. Checking in there from uh, from Texas. A lot of viewers, a lot of viewers in Texas. Let's go next to Taffin from California. That is not a name I've seen before. Taffin. Oh, no. Yeah. My, I don't know where my parents got the name from. Interesting. You've never um, asked. I mean, I mean, actually, I do know where it's from, but it's like such a silly story. Like, but. All right. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, my question is, um, this is something I'm kind of noticing. And it's kind of like a question that's raised in my head that I think might actually have some implications for the Republican Party. Okay. But um, I recently saw this video of, like, a bunch of, um, like, Trump supporters in Georgia. And it was some, like, rally or protest or whatever. And uh, one of the guys got up and started shouting about how they were going to destroy the Republican Party for betraying them. Right. And this is something I'm starting to think, like, see more and more. And I think it's more of a trend now where I'm seeing more infighting in the Republican Party rather than actually, like, explain going towards any like Democrats and stuff. And looking back, I think one of the things that made the Republican Party so strong was their like coalition building. And what I'm thinking is that, well, do you think that there's a possibility that like how radicalized that the Republicans and Trump have made the base could actually start like making blowback against the Republicans? Because we're seeing more um... and more that a bunch of like uh, Republicans... Like, obviously, they've supported some of this stuff, but they can't support all of it. And the moment, you know, that they go against it, like we saw with Tucker Carlson, the people start like um, slamming back against them. And uh, do you think that could start making some like blowback or repercussions to the Republican Party? I would love to think that the answer is yes. But I think the most likely scenario is that once Trump is gone and Joe Biden is sworn in, there's this phrase return to the mean And I think that we are going to see Republicans basically go back to where they were before Trump, which is Democrats really are the enemy. You'll still have these fringes of the Republican Party that will say the problem is the Republican Party isn't right enough or whatever the case may be. But I think for the most part, you'll see Republicans going back to exactly what they were, where you see the low tax pro business conservatives uh, allied with the evangelicals, allied with the libertarians, all united that Democrats are really bad people, really bad. They're socialist, communist, etc. And I don't think that the fracturing of the Republican Party that you're seeing right now is going to pers- persist. Now, I could be wrong. And if it does persist, it could be great for the left. But I'm not optimistic. I think the Republican Party will go right back to what they were before Donald Trump. Yeah, you're probably right. I just got excited seeing that in Georgia because the runoffs coming out. Yeah, I think I, I also saw people, um, some some Republicans saying 
we need to punish the Republican Party by not voting at all in Georgia in the Georgia yeah, that's Senate. That's what runoff, I thought was going to happen. Which sounds great to me. Gonna, I, I mean, yeah, it's like I know they're if, never going to vote like Democrat, but I could see them like just not voting. Exactly, like exactly. And I hope that happens because it could actually. I mean, the polls are really tight in both of those races. They're they're essentially statistical ties. If a, if a million more Democrats register, and a million Republicans decide not to vote or something, you know, whatever numbers that alone could flip the results and give Democrats the Senate, which would just be amazing. No. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess at least in the short term, there's some benefit to be made out of that. Yeah, uh, there may. I do think Republicans will go back to what they were. But in the next two and a half months, there may actually be an advantage to be gained from uh, uh, from from the chaos. And, And let's hope that that's the case. Okay. yeah. Well, thanks for taking my question, David. All right. My pleasure. I appreciate uh, very much appreciate the phone call Uh, that is going to do it for calls for today. As always, you know, my deep apologies to everybody I was not able to get to. But there it's a good problem to have that there are more callers than time for calls. Hope everybody in the U.S. has a great Thanksgiving. I'll take a few audience questions after the break and then we'll be back at it very strongly uh, at the start of next week. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. One of our sponsors today is Magic Spoon. The reason I'm such a fan of Magic Spoon is they allow me to enjoy the delicious breakfast cereals I loved as a kid without all the sugar and without the unhealthy ingredients, because Magic Spoon makes breakfast cereal that you really can't tell apart from those tasty, sugary cereals that we all know. But each serving of Magic Spoon has no sugar, three net carbs and 11 grams of protein. So it's perfect for someone on a low carb keto diet, just anybody trying to eat healthier and cut back on the sugar. You can choose from cocoa, frosted, fruity, cinnamon, blueberry or peanut butter. They all taste amazing. And Magic Spoon now lets you create your own customized variety pack with the flavors you choose. They really do stand by their product and will refund 100 percent of your money if you don't love it. No questions asked. Go to magicspoon.com slash Pacman to build your own custom variety box today and be sure to use promo code Pacman to get free shipping. The link is in the podcast notes. I want to let you know that our sponsor Vincero Watches is having a massive holiday sale on all of their products right now, and you can take advantage of it by going to davidpacman.com slash watch. A brand new high quality wristwatch really is the perfect way to add something fresh to your style, whether it's for you or a gift for someone else. Vincero is a brand that has a serious dedication to the craft of watchmaking, which is really evident when you look closely at their watches. I wear Vincero watches myself. Lately, I've been wearing one from their Icon Automatic collection. It's the mesh matte black watch, and I love the sleek minimalist design. Their watches are actually sold at a fair price. Their mission has always been to make a wristwatch from high end materials, but one that everyday people can afford. And that's why they have over twenty five thousand five star reviews, because you won't find a better made watch for this great of a price anywhere else. You can get big holiday discounts on all of their products right now and free shipping when you go to davidpackmancom slash watch. I've put the link in the podcast notes. 
The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. Okay, let's get to our last set of audience questions before the Thanksgiving break. Just a reminder, we'll be off on Thursday, Friday for the Thanksgiving holiday. The show isn't canceled. We'll be back Monday and just taking a couple of days off. Uh, First question today uh, via you, via the audience. Can Donald Trump beat Joe Biden with the faithless electors scenario that is being drawn out? So I want to explore this now. I want to say up front, this is ninety nine point nine percent pure fantasy. I'm going to give you sort of the two versions of this that that exist, and we'll talk about why neither is going to happen. So the the way that the election works is that each state holds an election. Massachusetts gets a result and Florida gets a result and California gets a result. And if Donald Trump wins Florida, Florida sends uh, Republican electors to cast Florida's electoral votes for Donald Trump. And if Joe Biden wins Massachusetts and California, as he did, Massachusetts and California have Democratic electors uh, chosen by the party. Uh, tend to be very loyal to to the party, um, cast their electoral votes for Joe Biden. So the first faithless elector scenario is the simpler one, which is you have electors that revolt for some reason. They don't have faith in the candidate that their state has voted for. So a Democratic elector from Massachusetts, for example, says, I don't care that I'm a Democratic elector. I don't care that the state voted for Joe Biden. I will vote instead electorally for Donald Trump instead of Joe Biden. Now, that would be one one elector that needs to do that. It is always very unlikely that you're going to have any significant number of those. There were two for Donald Trump in 2016. Remember, Donald Trump won 306 electoral votes, but in the end got 304 because of two faithless electors. Okay, this time, because Joe Biden likewise has 306 electoral votes, you'd need 36 electors to be faithless and flip to get to a tie in which the House of Representatives controlled by Democrats would vote, or you would need 37 electors to be faithless and flip to hand Donald Trump an Electoral College victory. It's a fantasy. It's simply not going to happen, uh, period. And um, it is, you know, that that is simply not going to happen. So then there's this other idea. And this was written about before the election, and I covered it extensively, and we've talked about it a few times, which is a strategy in which if you have a state with a Republican legislature and a Republican governor that Biden won, they could choose to send Republican electors anyway to vote for Donald Trump, even if Joe Biden won the popular vote in the state. Um, It's not going to happen. And the reason that's not going to happen is, as I mentioned, you need both the governor and the legislature to do it. If you have just the legis, so first of all, you're only looking at states Biden won because you need to flip those states. You look at states Biden won with Republican legislatures. You first need Republican legislatures willing to do it. And then in addition, if you get a Republican legislature willing to do it, you need a Republican governor who is not willing to veto it. And there simply aren't enough states meeting these characteristics uh, to make that a possibility. And it, it, it even if they were willing morally, even if they had no problem with this ideologically or whatever the case may be, um, they're not going to be able to do it now. 
just for the sake of exploring, imagine that somehow they figured out a way to manipulate electors or convince electors or bribe electors or whatever the case may be in order to flip the results for Donald Trump. What the hell happens internationally? What that the the presidency would be seen as an illegitimate presidency internationally. This would be different than, you know, you think back to the year 2000 and Florida and hanging chads and the idea of George W. Bush as an illegitimate president. Um, It did not impact, you know, countries accepted that George W. Bush was president. Uh, I believe that if Donald Trump were somehow to figure out a way to use this elector scheme to reverse the results, um, I I believe that he is seen as a completely illegitimate president internationally in a way we've never seen before. But we don't even have to hypothesize. We don't even have to wonder because it's not going to happen. Joe Biden's going to be sworn in on January 20th. The only scenario that could delay but not stop this is one I'm going to talk about um, a little bit later on in this segment. Next question that came in, David, for all of the failed talk about a civil war after the election results, what could actually start a second American civil war? So let's talk about this in, in a couple of different ways. First of all, a lot of times when people talk about an American civil war or the division of the United States into two countries, they are talking about red states, blue states. And the difficulty of that is that the geographical boundaries of what red state, blue state would be um, are relatively uh, loose in the sense that r- many red states still have 30, 35, 40, even 45 percent Democratic voters. Many blue states still have 30, 35, 40, 45 percent Republican voters. So this idea, you know, it, it, it it's not a requirement for a civil war that the lines be super clear. If you look at Italy in the early 40s, you had this north south thing, but the north was filled with those sympathetic to the south and vice versa. You can look at sort of modern civil wars, Syria and Ukraine. They are more really sustained uh, sectarian insurgencies than clear civil wars the way we had the Union and the Confederacy um, in the American Civil War. The other really interesting thing to consider is that just for the sake of a thought experiment, if we want to think about a second American Civil War along Confederacy Union lines, the Confederacy is completely financially uh, unsustainable. And we've talked about this before. In the United States, you have all of these federal programs into which states pay and out of which they receive benefits, they receive money. The blue states dramatically subsidize the red states. And so you have a lot of states in the U.S., overwhelmingly red states run by Republicans that were it not for being subsidized by money from blue states, they wouldn't be viable. And what you would have if you were to divide the country in the imaginary second civil war into factions that sort of line up with civil war, union and confederacy. If there were to be a separation, the confederacy would be in 2020. They would be bankrupt very, very quickly Um, and it would be a desperate situation there. So it it also is uh, practically speaking um, not going to it, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense now in terms of Now that we've gotten all of that out of the way, 
what could really get the United States to boil over? Maybe not into what we would call a civil war, but sustained and major sort of sectarian uh, uh, violence and and fighting. One of the things that corporations and the uh, financial sector and others are uh, really effectively doing in the United States um, is they have created a situation where a lot of people are just kind of happy enough being able to be on the couch watching football on Sundays and um, living their lives. Not that everybody's lives are perfect. There's tons of hunger, poverty, everything in the United States. But there's enough people due to cheap stuff from China and credit card debt and all of these instruments that are available. You've got a lot of people who their threshold for when they're going to go out in the streets and do anything is really, really high, and it creates a natural disincentive for people to do it. At the same time, low wages, the low savings rate of the United States, the financial instability that so many people experience also makes it tough to go out in the streets because you need to buy food the next day for your family. And if you miss a day of work and it's unpaid and you're not going to be able to do that and you need to be able to not have your car repossessed so that you can go and drive and get the food. The point is, this is a system that perpetuates itself. The status quo perpetuates itself by keeping keeping people sort of just happy enough that they would re need a really high bar to be met before they would go out fighting for anything. And at the same time, you keep them in a precarious enough position that they can't afford not to work for very long. That is how you preemptively and systemically suppress an uprising. So I don't know what the answer is about what it would take for something to boil over to be almost like a civil war. You also don't need everybody. You don't need everybody either fat and happy or in squalor to have enough people to really cause chaos. There's no doubt about that. Um, but it is actually difficult to imagine what would rise to that level. Um, I think that you know, if Donald Trump were to figure out a way to steal the election, I think you would see protests like we have not seen for I don't want to say how long decades for sure. Would it rise to a civil war? I don't even know. I'm curious to hear from you. Hey, David, between the legal challenges and the not conceding and claiming he won and lawsuits and elector ideas, what is Donald Trump's actual endgame here? Does he think he will be inaugurated to a second term? I think the answer is no. I think at this point, Donald Trump knows he's not getting a second term. Um, and for me, you know, there's been a lot of focus about Trump's lawsuits having the goal of throwing out so-called illegal votes or getting a recount that changes the results. I think if we want to for a second uh, uh, believe that there's some bigger strategy here and there may not be, but let's imagine there is some bigger strategy. The more likely strategy, the more likely to be effective strategy here would be that Donald Trump is merely trying to get a court to prevent a state from certifying its election. If you can prevent state legislatures from certifying the election results, you then can create a situation where state legislators get to pick electors. This is part of three USC section two. Now, this is different than what I talked about in an earlier segment where I said you're not going to get enough faithless electors, 
you're not going to get willy nilly states to just send different electors. But there's this scenario where if you can actually delay certification, state legislatures get to appoint electors. And for me, if there is a strategy and I don't know that there is, these people have shown themselves to be incompetent. Everything they're filing is being thrown out. If there were a strategy, it would be that I still think it's unlikely because I don't know that I see a court staying, in other words, pausing certification by any state uh, in such a way that it will go further than uh, roughly December 14th, which is when that electoral vote is set to happen. I don't see that happening. Courts have been moving very quickly. Oftentimes we'll have a lawsuit and then two days later the court throws it out. Courts understand the time sensitivity of this. Um, So given that I don't think Trump really believes he has a shot at overturning the election results, it seems to me that this is either just Donald Trump's delusional narcissistic ego who can't admit that he lost, even if he sort of knows he knows he's going to be pushed out. He simply can't admit it. And he says, file every lawsuit. You can do everything you can. It might simply be that it could be Donald Trump planning to undermine Joe Biden, not only now, but through his presidency. And this is just part of it, never admitting that he actually lost. It could be that Donald Trump is trying to hand Joe Biden the most chaotic possible situation he can on January 20th. And continuing to further uh, these lawsuits is part of that. And it could be that Donald Trump is simply trying to smoothly transition right into some kind of media project, which has been hypothesized by many. Trump wants to do some kind of challenger to Fox News, some kind of, you know, outfoxing Fox News with some kind of Trump news network. All of these things, I find myself saying, okay, we'll deal with that when when we come to it, if we do after Donald Trump has left office on January 20th. But I don't see any end game beyond that. And if you really think Donald Trump is doing this because he thinks he's going to get a second term, I want to hear from you. I just don't see it. We have a great bonus show for you today, after which we will be off Thursday and Friday for Thanksgiving. I will be back with you on Monday, Monday. Have a good holiday. If you're celebrating, be safe. Very important. Be safe.